Hello, Gateway. And good evening. So we are trying to have a reasonable time with Pastor Rod tonight. And this is an event called Ask Pastor Rod. Good evening, Pastor Rod. Good evening. It's good to be here. We're going to ask a few questions uh, for you. And uh, we're also ready for people to chat some questions if they have and if they want to ask Pastor Rod. And this is our second try to be online with the Ask Pastor Rod. First time was a little bit with technical issues, so we didn't have an opportunity to stream uh, what we asked Pastor Rod last time. But uh, we will try tonight. I hope it's going to work well for us. So we have a team here, and tonight we want to start from the couple of questions and a simple question I always ask is how are you doing today <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing well um, I know that a number of people have been praying for me just because um, my back has been hurting for quite a while um, it's slowly on the mend um, I think when we first went into the lockdown um, uh, I was probably at a 10 it was really painful uh, the next week is probably about a nine. I think I'm at about a four right now. And uh, Jerry at Intero has been really helpful um, to to me, and I think we're moving in the right direction. So anyway, for me, just personally, that's been a real struggle. Um, and uh, getting out of bed some mornings was really, really difficult. I mean, it took a long time, but I'm doing better now, thanks. Yeah, great, yeah. great, yeah. So, yeah. I'm really glad to see you tonight and to ask you this question from people we have already. So some of them we, uh, I asked you last time, but we didn't have a chance to right. post this because our uh, technology dropped right. on us. So mm -hmm. we, we're trying to just like re-ask you this question. So for people, they will be able to hear the answer. Sure. Sounds good. Okay. So that, and uh, first question I want to ask you is uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Um, okay, it's a pretty pretty basic question, but I think it's it's helpful to um, keep it as simple as possible and then add a few dynamics there. Certainly, um, to inherit eternal life, we must um, I recognize that we're sinners um, and repent of our sin and trust that what Jesus Christ has done on the cross um, has paid for our sin. So, we talk about believing um, and, and repenting, being all part of that, um, and trusting in what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. I think um, often it is described kind of in a fourfold way. There's God, man, Christ response. Um, God, the creator, is holy and worthy of our worship. Um, man is a sinner um, who is... Total, totally unable to get out of his situation, doesn't even know, apart from what God has revealed, that he is a sinner. And God has provided Jesus Christ as that mediator to come and to uh, pay the penalty for our sin, die on the cross, be that sacrifice once for all. And um, what we then need to do is respond. We respond to that by belief um, by, by, by repentance, um, by, by faith. Those are all working simultaneously at that moment of conversion. So uh, eternal life is the fruit of um, conversion. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. 
Thank you for the answer. So I want just ask you another question. And so we have like a lot of uh, really serious question to ask you. Sure. And uh, we hope it's going to be beneficial for Gateway to hear this answer. So one, uh, the second question is, what's your personal view on Christian cremation hmm. as opposed to Christian burial? Burial. Cremation and burial. Um, well, I would say, first of all, um, the Bible is not explicit on... Uh, saying that it has to be burial or that cremation is sinful. Um, I think what we have is implicit things or things that are part of the description of, of events in Scripture. So, for example, the, the normal practice, as you look in Scripture, of dealing with a body when someone has died is to bury it. I mean, you see that over and over and over again. Um, and of course, that burial can be in the ground, it can be in the tomb, right? So it, it can be in, in different ways. Um, and there's very little mentioned about cremation as a form of, of, of dealing with a, a body that has died. But nowhere in Scripture does it say necessarily that it, it, is, it is a sinful practice. Um, having said that, I know good people, um, like-minded brothers, have differing opinions on that, and this question is a question of my opinion on that. Um, I do think that, number one, we need to look at and see what Scripture does say about um, the relationship of a, of a body and fire. So, for example, uh, there are times when God exercised judgment and consumed people with fire, all right? So, often what you're going to find in Scripture is that fire um, and, and death are, are, are judgment terminologies, right? But that's not always the case. Um, I'm reminded of um, a passage in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, I think it's 31, and that is where um, Saul has been killed by the Philistines, and he's hanging on the wall with his uh, with his son so he he's died and if you remember the men of Jabeth Gilead they they run through the night from like 25 miles away and they rescue the bodies and um, they bring them down and, and in that account I'm trying to remember what passage it is exactly I think it's verse 11 yeah it says but when the inhabitants of Jabeth Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul all the valiant men rose went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan, and they came to Jabeth or Jabesh and burned them there, and they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. Um, I, I don't know of other accounts, and, and of course this one is, is put in positive light. This is actually a very endearing story about the death of of, of a king of Israel. Now, granted, he, he wasn't a good king, but he, his first act as king actually was to help the people here and protect the people of the city, Jabesh Gilead. And they are, I think, burning the bodies in such a way that this is a kingly, respectful thing under the circumstances. It was the best that they could do under the circumstances. 
But notice they also took the bones and then they buried the bones under the tree. So, um, so pulling all that together, I don't think that scripture says that it's a sin to do it. I think the, norm, the normal practice is to bury. Um, and we do have an example here of the fact that there may be some situations where cremation is perfectly acceptable. Now I want to step back a little bit and think through this from a, on, on a practical from a practical perspective, in today's world, there's a huge difference financially for people to either um, bury a body or to choose cremation. I think it's between 8,000 and 13,000, depending on how much money you're gonna put into uh, a casket and things like that, um, for burial. Mm -hmm. And for cremation, it could run 2,500, 3,500, depending again on what you do with an urn. Um, and um, I've been a part of funerals where people have been buried as well as where there has been cremation. So I personally don't see a problem with it. Um, I do see though that you don't just wanna make the decision based on economics, but I think you wanna make a decision that as best as possible reflects what scripture says and also takes into consideration practically your circumstances, all right? now. Um, we're not gonna, gonna have the gateway uh, burial police running around telling people what to do. But I do think if someone is gonna cremate that they would want to follow the spirit of what scripture says about the body being buried in the ground or um, it, it actually going to the earth. So whether that means someone goes and scatters the, the ashes or they put them in the ground, let's put it this way. I, what I would recommend not happening is taking the urn of ashes and putting it on the fireplace, you know, on the mantle. So, you know, you know, where's you know, where's where's Dad? Oh, he's over there. You know, I I, th I think that might be um, uh, not the picture that that Scripture is revealing for us. I think there's something about burying the remains in the ground. So whether they're burned um, or whether it's buried, um, the, the the spirit of that is to actually to then put it in the ground. Now, if it's buried in the ground or whether they're scattered, there's freedom there. Um, and uh, uh, again, like I said, there's like-minded brothers. I mean, names that I could mention to you where you might be surprised that they're like, no, this is fine. I mean, the body, you've died. What happens to the body is insignificant. I, I think it's significant, and I think you want to treat the body with dignity and uh, with respect, and I think you can do that with cremation. Having said that, um, you want to make sure that the place that you're going um, is reputable um, because there have been some exposés of places where they, they actually don't cremate and they take the body and they get rid of the body somewhere else. They just give you ashes and who, who are you to know whether these things are true? So there's some complications in that. Shouldn't be a problem. Uh, there's regulations and all that kind of stuff for, for funeral homes, but um, mm -hmm. um, I, I, I think it's... I think it's okay. If I were to counsel someone and they were torn between the two and finances were not really a consideration, I would just say, you know what? I would go with burial because that, that, that is the best um, pattern that we have in scripture. Um, but I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna say that someone is not honoring God if, if they choose cremation. I think, I think it's perfectly viable. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you for the yep. rich answer. Yep. So I think it's really helpful to understand and to decide for ourselves. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. let me just say a couple other things. 
um, the time that you don't want to be making decisions about this mm -hmm. is in the funeral home with the funeral director who's functioning as a salesman at that point in time, right? Uh, you know, you really don't need the, the best um, casket. Yeah, just as long as it's a, it's a pine box, put me in, that's fine. But our sentimentality kicks in and we want to do all these different things and spend all this different kind of money. So uh, we need to protect ourselves. Um, if, if something happens in your family and you want someone to go in with you um, that can help you through, this is where the body of Christ can help you so that you're not torn uh, and pulled and, and your emotions are tugged by those who are in the, in, in the, the funeral home kind of vocation and uh, unfortunately it happens so it's just something to consider okay okay are we alexi good yeah i'm, I'm invisible you can look into the cameras <laughs> i'm just checking with alexi <laughs> if everything is going uh, on, on, online so and you can see us uh, right now thank you pastor Ross, yeah. for the rich answer and uh, let's go for the another question Okay. And are you good? Okay. I'm good. I'm fine. Yeah. They <laughs> haven't kicked me one, off yet. So, one, <laughs> one, so uh, we're moving forward. So we know one also you to sit and not listening to the answers. So we want to keep going. I do. I do want to ask this question following up on YouTube. What about those who would donate their body to science? Uh, I think it's perfectly fine if people want to donate their bodies to science. Um, and uh, I actually think it's. I don't think I don't think you're 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 somehow diminishing the respect and honor of the body to do that. If anything, I think it's actually a very respectful thing to say, my body can be used to help um, uh, others. Um, I think that's that's perfectly fine, legitimate. Or even this mark in DMV you make on a driver license. If someone so chooses to do that, yeah, um, that's 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 up to them, um, you know. And I think before God, I don't I don't see anything prohibiting someone saying I want to I want to give my body to be to be used to help you know it used to be back in the day back in the Victorian era that you know touching a body or cutting a body was considered an evil thing again you're not going to find that in scripture um, I mean as far as a, a New Testament church you know uh, Christ-centered kind of approach but I do think I do think there's a, there's a rightness to that and I think people should consider that thank you yep thank you Okay, so let's uh, let's go to we we receive one uh, question about the, in Genesis one twenty six when God said, "Let us make man in our image, after our likeness." Will you please expand upon that? I recently read that this is a godlike privilege, and that being made in His image is. Um, curiously close to deity this seems close to blasphemy for me mm -hmm. so yeah think? so my my if i had that person sitting here talking with me as i'm listening to what the question it's not just about genesis 126 it's also about how genesis 126 is being used that god has um let us make man in our image after our likeness and this whole idea that that we are somehow um, taking on deity, right? And so my my question back to that person, and I'm I'm thinking this is where it comes from, is that this is very much a a teaching that comes from a certain section of the church. 
and that would be what's called the Word Faith Church. Um, you're going to see that often in Pentecostal contexts or certain kinds of charismatic or even apostolic contexts. So these are kind of different, different denominations and groups of people. And there is this teaching that to be made in the image of God uh, means that you are like Him, and because you are like Him, and then you kind of pull in other things from Scripture that say, well, we are the sons of God, so if we are the sons of God and we're like Him, then we're little gods, and so they're reading, they're, they're kind of backfilling into a statement like this and making it say something that it's not. It's not saying that we are God, it's saying that we are made in His image and His likeness. So there's some things about us that reflect who God is, something about His character, something about um, who He is, is, is somehow being reflected in us, and we are, we are like Him. And I think one of the things there in the Genesis account, as I recall, is that it's, it's a distinguishing statement saying, here's all the creation, here's all the animals that I've created, but you I've made in my image and in my likeness. Mm -hmm. So uh, mankind, God has created mankind um, in a unique way to, um, to mirror something of God. And that doesn't mean that he is God, but there's something that he has that the animal world doesn't have. So you have to think, well, what could those things be? Well, theologians have tried to figure out specifically what those things are and come up with a number of things. I think um, uh, it could be, you know, that um, that man is, has the ability to think rational, um, abstract thoughts. Now, certainly, there are animals that can think. They do think. My cat thinks. You know, he is functioning by instinct, but he's also functioning by thoughts. Um, a dog, many people you know, have wonderful times with their dogs. Those dogs are thinking. Animals do think, and they're far more intelligent animals too. But do they have the ability to, to think through abstract thoughts? Um, that's one of the things. Um, do animals, can animals make a moral decision? Do they have a, a moral compass at all? Well, I think God's created mankind with a, a, a moral compass that recognizes that that murder is sin, or that children should be protected. Those are things that are, that are just naturally there in man. Whereas you might say a, an animal, a mother, who has little ones, would be protective of those, but she may not necessarily be protective of another uh, mother's um, little ones, because mm -hmm. she's thinking about you know, just taking care of herself and and her, her little ones. So there's, there's different ways to look at that from the perspective of there's, there's a morality thing that is not found in the animal world. Um, you could also um, think just about spiritually. I mean, you don't, you don't get up on Sunday morning and see cows worshiping at church in the field. Um, uh, they don't do it. They're not, they're not singing worship songs to God. They don't understand anything spiritual where God has created in us a capacity to have a hunger for the spiritual things, um, and then to pursue that with with God, and then also with Christ. Um, man is creative; um, he's artistic, um, and certainly we we are we marvel at God's creation because God has created animals with instinctual abilities. I mean, like a spider creating a web. I mean, that is unique to a spider. 
or a bird kind of making um, making a nest that's unique to a bird, but um, they're not necessarily taking going on off on other tangents, being creative in other areas. Uh, you know, I don't think I've seen a spider who's done any artwork that's in any museum or anything like that. I mean, so certainly there's wonderful things out there that are part of God's creation, but the capacity to be creative and to be artistic and to uh, to deal with music and song um, are, are unique things in mankind. So these are all things that God has created us with that would say this is, these are reflections of, of what it means to be God. Um, another one would be community. Uh, in the Godhead, you have this God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit working together in community um, and, and having a, a love for, for one another in community. And there's a reflection in us uh, to, to have that kind of desire and hunger for community. Um, so there's a number of things like that that, that really reflect what the image of God is talking about. Um, ultimately, in, in that text, I mean, it goes over and, and then gives man then dominion over creation. So part of that being the likeness of God is taking on this role of dominion. Uh, so there's a number of these things. I think you can put them all together and say that um, God has uniquely created man apart from the rest of his creation in such a way that he is, um, he is mirroring God. He is a reflection of God in some way. But here's the thing. If I had a mirror and I was, I was showing the people in the camera you through the mirror, the mirror wouldn't be you. Mm-hmm. It would be a reflection of you. And so for me to say, well, I'm a little God because I am, I am a mirror, is to take on more than what Scripture is actually saying, right? Um, and quite frankly... If, if I were standing at the art gallery and I was, I was getting a reflection of the Mona Lisa, people would say, oh, that's the Mona Lisa, but this is a reflection. You don't want the reflection, you want the real thing. Now, you're in photography. You could go take a, a wonderful picture of the Mona Lisa, but it's still a picture of. Mm-hmm. And I could admire the picture, but that picture is not the thing. And so, ultimately, as reflections, we, we are to be pointing ultimately to, to God, who is the one who deserves all glory, because he's the one who created us. So I think where this question is coming from is, is this overreach, this theological overreach that somehow takes other portions of Scripture and feeds into the statement, we're made in the image of God and his likeness, therefore we are, since we're like God, we are God, um, and that's not what the text is saying. Um, but they're kind of backfilling that in there. And that certainly is blasphemous. We're not, we're not little gods, but that's very much a part of that word faith um, teaching is that we are little gods. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. I hope uh, Pastor answered the question who asked this. And uh, so we all lose one light, so maybe it's going to be like <laughs> home temperature, kind of like evening uh, setup uh, right now for you. So a little bit darker, um, darker light on your TV, but um, I hope you're still watching us and you are waiting for the, another questions. And how, how are you doing? Still, I'm doing fine. Still fine. Yeah, I'm yeah. just wondering what the next questions are going to be. Yeah. So it looks like it's really hard questions uh, to uh, to like answer, and yeah. they are not easy. But but that's, I mean the, both those questions are they're 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 so important 
because um, if, if you're worried about this idea of cremation or the practice of it, maybe a parent, you, that's what happened with your parents or you're anticipating, you, 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 want, you want some, some clarity on it. And the, the other one about Genesis is, is important because there is so much false teaching out there that just permeates through the church and we, we need to be mindful of it. And, and uh, so I, I think they're, they're both really, really good questions. Thank you. Thank you for your questions. And there is another one about the, every time, kind of not always, but sometimes when you start your sermon, mm -hmm. so you have like specific phrase you always yeah. like saying, like, yeah. so Lord, what we know, would you teach us? <laughs> and, and yeah, so, what we know not, would you teach us? What we are not, would you make us? What we have not would you give us in Jesus' name? And um, Where is that from and uh, what's hard behind this? Oh, what's... sure. So that actually goes back to um, my, my time attending the Basics Conference um, at Alsterbeg's church. Now, Alsterbeg, you may or may not know who he is. He's a pastor, a Scottish pastor, who pastors at Parkside Church in Chagrin Falls, um, Ohio. Um, and uh, for those, all those you Michigan fans, it's the only thing in Ohio. Okay, um, but he at that conference he invited in the first time um, a man by the name of Dick Lucas. And when I started listening to Dick Lucas, I just really I resonated with him. I wanted to learn more from him. Um, and uh, older gentleman, but just articulate and clear. And so from that, I would go online and, and just periodically on a personal level, just for personal enrichment, listen to Dick Lucas. And I would hear Dick Lucas use this, this formula. And I just thought to myself, this is really helpful. You see, when I, when I pray at the beginning of a sermon, it's not just, I gotta pray, I gotta get something out. And it's more, Lord, I wanna draw my attention um, to doing what, what you want me to do. And I want the people who are listening to be bought in and to be drawn also to the task at hand. And so that's why I say, you know, Lord, what, what, I, what we know not, would you teach us? Because there's things that we don't know and we need to be taught. What we have not, Lord, would you give us? Because there's things that we don't have that we desperately need that the text is going to help us with. And what we are not, would you make us, I think is really important because we, we constantly need to be in this discipleship growing mentality. We don't just come to church and s listen to a sermon just to kind of sit back and say, well, that's kind of a nice sermon. But part of the purpose of it is to grow. It's part of our discipleship. It's part of our reinforcement every time we're doing it. So I'm praying that those things would happen. Uh, I'm doing it from my own heart because I need to grow. And you know, you guys may not realize this, but as I'm preaching, sometimes I am encouraged by the things that I'm seeing and it's helping me and sometimes in the moment I'm connecting dots that I haven't connected all week. Um, and so for me it's really, really beneficial. The other thing I say also often is, Lord allow me to be your mouthpiece for the text. Um, and interesting, I just, just had a, a Zoom meeting with some, some African American pastors that I'm trying to encourage and help and one of the things we talked about there uh, was just the role of the prophet. And um, I'm, I'm not a prophet. Um, I'm not a son of a prophet. Um, I do work for a nonprofit, but that doesn't change anything, right? Um, as a prophet, 
we, um, you are proclaiming the word of God that he's revealed to you. As a pastor, we still have that prophetical function. I'm proclaiming the word of God, but not, I want to say, a new revelation of it, the, the already settled word of God. My job is to proclaim that. So I'm, I'm trying to, in that prayer, bring all these things together and say, this is the task before us. This is the task before me. And I want to draw everyone in with that. So it might seem repetitive. I am repeating it. Um, but it is purposeful because mm-hmm. I'm trying to draw my heart and trying to draw the heart of the people there to say, okay, yes, Lord, this is what we want now. Give it to us. That's what I'm trying to, trying to produce or at least stir up in that moment and, and rely on God for. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, so it's really powerful to listen, like, and it's really powerful, uh, like, to know the meaning, the mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. beginning and what's sure. the heart behind. So in this sure. way, we can like more have more understanding what what is mean for you and also like your prayer, the meaning of the prayer. Mm-hmm. So there is another question we have on. Um, uh, I know we all like who's locked at homes so we stay at home and uh, there is like simple question it, did you try any interesting recipes during this time i haven't tried any interesting recipes um i've actually done some just some regular things that i enjoy i i like to grill just like anyone else um i'm trying to think if there was anything that was unusual um you know i'm I'm fortunate to be married to someone who is a good cook, um, who rarely offers me a burnt offering. Um, uh, she is, um, she's, she's gifted in that way. So she, she'll try different things. Um, you know, but I, I'll, I'll try some things here and there when it comes to grilling and I don't tell anyone about it. I just put it on the plate, you know, and say, <laughs> here it is, you know, but I enjoy, I enjoy doing ribs and, um, you know, chicken of different kinds so nothing nothing unusual at this point in time although I, I do like to cook I just don't do enough of it great yeah I like steak too mm-hmm. especially New York mm-hmm. steak one mm-hmm. so it's a, it's a treat once mm-hmm. in a like half a year <laughs> half a year oh wow yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah okay so uh, we, we already passed the Easter Sunday mm-hmm and we have sermon you can watch um, on YouTube on our channel, uh, sermon from uh, our Easter Sunday about the resurrection of Christ. There is a lot of practical implications. So the question is like, what are implication versus applications? What the difference between? So. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think I think we need to back up a little bit and say that. Um, the 80s and 90s in particular have been a season where um, relevance has been the big word. Application has been kind of the heartbeat of what people want, or at least they're, they're told this is what they want. And so many times um, what people would get in churches would be application-oriented preaching. They would start in a text, but then they would give you 10 reasons, to, you know, 10 ways to do something, or, you know, and it was just very much telling you this is what you need to do. Um, and uh, obviously, 
being an expositional preacher, that's something that, that is not going to be part of my package typically, right? Um, so I think it's important to say with that drive for relevance and, and application, this idea of implication has, has been lost. It's not a new thing. It's been around for years. So application basically is uh, saying, here's what the scripture says, now this is what you need to do. It's a very, uh, very direct um, from the text to the person. Now we always have to be careful when we do application. If you've done any Simeon Trust training with us, you know this, that in order to get to application, you've got to do the hard work of exegesis and then theological reflection, and then you can start thinking about application. So application is often um, telling people what to do. And I would, I would say that it's, it's passive. And if all we're doing is application-oriented preaching, then the hearer is basically sitting back saying, okay, pastor, tell me what I need to do. All right, that's what I need to do. I'll go do it. There are times when that's appropriate. Um, the problem is, even in our church, you know, I'm, I might be looking out at a congregation of you know, 75 people listening to me on a Sunday morning, and for me to apply this passage to each one of you, um, specifically to your situation, is really, really difficult. So often you'll hear me do some application that would be kind of to a particular target group or in some way to kind of give you an idea of what application is. But the emphasis is going to be a little bit more on implication. So application is basically um, telling something what to do, um, whereas implication has more to do with asking more questions. And the idea of implication is not to say, go do this. The idea of implication is to say, how can I think more about this? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I want people to be thinking about this truth and then taking it home and being able to ask themselves some questions like, well, how does this play out in my context? Um, how do, you know, what do I need to be thinking about with this in my situation? Um, and so here's the difference. I, I don't want to have a congregation that is saying, well, pastor said I should do such and such, therefore I'm going to do, do it. Um, and there are going to be times when I can say, well, this is clearly what scripture says, so go do it. But I think what, what we want to do, what I want to do, is I want to, I want to help people think. So here's the truth, here's the point. Now think on this. How does it apply? So let me give you an example. Let's just say we're talking about the subject of lying. And in scripture we find, you know, thou shalt not lie. And the application is, Alex, don't lie. Tell the truth. That's application. All right? Implication would be, well, why would you lie? What's going on in your life that would put you in a situation that lying would be a consideration? How is it that you don't lie in this situation, but when you get around these people, you're more tempted to lie? Um, what is it that's going on in your life that you're more tempted to lie in a particular situation than another? So I'm, I'm asking questions now that are um, causing you, and this is what this implication does, ask questions that causes you then to think so that you can apply carefully to your particular context. All right? And so I think when we are application-oriented, we end up with moralism and legalism, if we're not careful, because we're just telling people what to do. Mm -hmm. 
But if we're implication-oriented, we're creating Christians who think, who are thinking, who are wrestling with the text, and therefore are far more mature and are growing personally. So I think there's a dynamic there that, that I want to nurture. Um, and that's how I would kind of distinguish between the two. Um, so application is much more, um, you know, action, do this. Implication is much more question, think about this. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you. Yep. Yeah, it's really deep. And um, thank you for the thinking of us and bringing more, more implication for us to think after your sermon. So we can rewatch maybe and maybe like another time sure. approach and sure. another time to think how we can we can use this in a, our everyday life yep. and following yep. Christ. So thank you so much for this and um, I hope you hear us if, if, if there is any issues you can like text uh, in the chat so we can see if our stream going well and smooth and um, we're continuing with another question and I want to ask this from chat like when I pray I struggle with not uh, uh, rot uh, but to be meaningful and having a conversation with the Lord how can I be better in, in, in this can you repeat that please so that I can yeah, understand so it the, the, the person is struggling with not wrote R-O-T-E Wrote, okay. So the prayer so, is not wrote. Yeah, how, how to be meaningful and having a conversation with the Lord. How okay. to uh, be better. Yeah, so I, th yeah, I think there's some things you can do that are different there. And I think, I mean, obviously how you approach prayer would be the place to begin. Why are you doing it? Um, if, if you feel like it's a box that you have to check off. And I'm certainly not saying this is this person, but sometimes you're like, oh, I need to pray. Therefore, I just kind of have this structure and I'm going to pray through the structure. Um, it's it's kind of like sometimes when you're reading a book and you're reading, you know, you're reading a few pages and then you go like, oh, what did I, what did I read? All right, well, what did I pray? Because I'm just kind of going through some, um, some, some habitual things, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, I think I would suggest um, changing up a little bit how you pray, that would be, um, for example, pray scripture. So whatever, maybe you're reading something for your devotions, use what's in the content of the scripture to be the basis of your prayer. Um, prayer doesn't always have to be prayer for other people. Prayer certainly can be for your own soul, should be in large part for your own, your own growth and, uh, and maturity. So pray about the things that you're reading, you know, like, Lord, I'm reading about this particular thing in the text, and I want to do the best I can to, to seek to live that out. Lord, help me to see um, how this impacts my life. Help me to understand the implications. Help me to apply it carefully, Lord. And, and so you, you can pray through Scripture. I think, I think what happens when our prayers get rote is when... Um, really when, when, when we tend to get rote. <laughs> in other words, when we're seeing it as kind of like this, this, this habit or this, this routine that I have to go through. And sometimes you need to freshen things up. Um, and so I would just say, look at, look at ways that you can, that you can pray differently. Um, and be careful not to feel guilty that maybe you're not praying for a particular area 
um, because you're still praying. The whole point is you're communing with God on particular things, right? Have a routine, maybe you know, pray about the nation, maybe pray about people in the church, maybe pray about your family, um, pray about you know, uh, neighbors and things like that. But then also include then your own, your own walk with God. And, and like I said, let scripture be, be what, what feeds that. If you find yourself being rote in prayer, um, like I said, step back and try to, to approach it differently. Um, I don't think anyone likes to be um, spoken to with repetition. Um, having said that, I just talked about how I repeat this prayer when I do my sermon, all right? That, but that, that's purposeful. I'm not just like reciting it just to recite it. Um, and you know whether you're doing that. And I think you can say the same words with a, with a fresh heart. Um, so those are some things to think through. I, I, I think, I just think sometimes we, we neglect the fact that, that spending time in the Word is supposed to fuel us mm-hmm. for prayer. And, um, and maybe we need to do a little bit more um, pondering and reflection on Scripture before we pray rather than just get right into it. Um, and kind of taking a breath and thinking through what is, what is going on and maybe what are the things that really I should be praying for so that it's not just kind of like just going down the list and I'm done. Um, so I think those would be some things I would think through. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. I remember you, we have a small group and your wife brought a question about uh, journaling, yeah. the prayer. Yeah. So yeah. I found also for me, yeah. and I comment there, so it was really helpful for me to like journal my prayers or my uh, thinking yeah. and kind of like my reflection and maybe heart and, and put date even like there. So sometimes when you receive the answer, you pour your soul, you, you journal this, and then you like receive the answer and you're like, I know this in this journal, so I have to recall right. and put date thank God for the answer for, right. for my right. yeah. prayer. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and you could also just use this analogy too, and that is, you know, during the course of a week, um, hopefully you're not eating the same food for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. You're going you're gonna to have some variety. Why? Because you can, and because the variety helps keep things fresh and you get excited about that, right? So if you had New York steak every day, mm-hmm. I mean, you come to the point where you're like, uh, can, I, can I just have something else, right? So I think, I think adding variety helps to kind of keep things fresh and it not be kind of this, this rote prayer, mm-hmm. so. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. So we're moving forward. There is another question. Another question for now is, um, um, you mentioned in personal conversation of that church by Zoom call realm somewhere. It's, um, God does the hard, uh, the hard work in you as you preach ah. the past week's Resurrection Sunday sermon. What are the things that God has done in your pastoral heart as you preach and the sermon and what were the challenges and how have you overcome them 
and witness the answer of those prayers after you have finished preaching that sermon? That's a long question. <laughs> There's a multiple questions there. Um, I think the, I mean, the heart of it is what wrestling match do you go through as you're preparing your sermons? That's kind of what I was hearing from that to begin with. Mm-hmm. And in particular with the Easter sermon. And I think, yeah, I was sharing that because usually when we think about the resurrection and Easter services, you know, it's positive, it's he's alive, it's hope, it's joy, it's celebration. And as a pastor, actually preaching Easter sermons can be difficult because there's only so many texts that you, you can go to. Um, and there are different things you can do with Easter. As I mentioned, you can, you can tell the story of Easter, you can talk about the facts of, of the resurrection, you can, um, you can go to some Old Testament place where there might be something prophetic, um, you can talk about new life in Christ, you could even talk about baptism. Those are all aspects of it. So it's hard to actually land the plane on where. And I, I think as, as, a, as an individual, as a person, I want the preaching of God's Word to have a, a positive effect on people, right? And so um, I want to be an encouragement. And so I wrestled with with the text that I was drawn to for for Easter, and that was Acts 17. And the reason I wrestled with it is because of its harsh implication, <laughs> you know? And that was, since the resurrection is true, then judgment is coming. And you don't usually equate a resurrection sermon or something for on Easter with judgment. You usually equate it with hope and joy and stuff like that. So in my heart, I'm wrestling. It's like, okay, Lord, I know you want me here, but boy, I want to be an encouragement. You know, so I'm I'm doing this wrestling match in my heart, and uh, I just I had to be convinced. Um, and I think when I mean, God, you know, through that time, convinced me that I need to be faithful to, to preach the whole counsel of God which includes then the fact that the resurrection is basically saying there is going to be a judgment and that people need to hear that. And not only that, that they need to repent. And then you know, working through it all, just in the sermon, it was just natural then to say, and the fruit of that repentance then is this hope and joy that we have because of the resurrection, right? So it ended up being hopeful, but it had this big weight of, of judgment. So the point is, yes, I wrestle with things during the week as I'm preparing a sermon as it relates to how it's going to impact um, the, the, the flock that, that I'm supposed to be shepherding. And oftentimes God will do something in me um, to help me connect with that text um, and so it's like, you know, they say, you know, you never want to preach on patience because God is going gonna, is gonna to do something in you that week to have you experience impatience, right? Or whatever it might be. And I found things like that to be true. It's not always true, but I found that there are, there are ways in which God is doing something in me so that I'm having a sense of the text or the, 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 the impact of the text so that what I'm saying is not just theoretical, um, that it's actually heart work that's coming out in, in the sermon. And um, I, I think that's, 
for any pastor worth his salt, that's got to be something that he, that he wants to be doing. He doesn't just want to lecture on a topic. Um, he, he wants to actually live and breathe the text that God has for him that day because that is the food that he's serving to the people, and you've got to trust that God is going to use it. So part of the difficulty is saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you. And we're kind of going through that with, with Moses in Exodus, right? All right? Mm-hmm. You know, can you go tell the Egyptians, you know, Pharaoh... Um, to let my people go, and Moses was like, I, I don't know that I could go say that, you know. Well, God is going to work on us so that we will do what he wants us to do. Um, so anyway, those, it's true, yeah, I, I wrestle with those things. And um, as I talk with my pastor friends, they do the same thing too. It's, you know, it, it's not just, well, you know, I know I'm going to preach on that. I've got it all figured out, and, you know, it's, it's not that way. It's, you're thinking about it all the time, even when you shouldn't be. <laughs> it's coming to mind, so that's um, just part of the, part of the package. Yeah, thank you, thank you so much. Yeah. So thank you so much for watching us. Um, uh, we are done for the questions for tonight. Uh, I hope it was joyful time for you to listen the Pastor Rod answers, and we see you next um, week or maybe another week. So we will be. Keep you posted. Thank you so much. Hey, it's great to be with you. I I hope this was an encouragement to you. I hope that you enjoyed this format, and um, I'm happy doing this as we can. Um, Like I said, I'm I'm I reserve the right to say I have no idea to a question, um, but I'll do the best I can to to help answer the questions. All right. So thank you. Thank you for being with us tonight.